Hello there, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman, and you're listening to Exploring Different Brains. Hi, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. Today I'm very excited to have one of my heroes here because he's not only an orthopedic surgeon, he's also the Senior Vice President of Translational Research over at Nova Southeastern University. He was head of the tissue bank down in Miami and maybe still is, and he does a million other things. So welcome, Tom Temple. Thank you very much, Hack. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, first of all, I have to say, I want you to tell everybody what is translational research so we know, because you're with Nova Southeastern, and you've already moved mountains over there in a short period of time, so tell us what it's all about. Well, thank you for asking. It's taken me a long time to figure it out as well. But a translational scientist is really someone who sits on the fence between clinical medicine and basic research and fundamentally connects the dots between discovery and clinical application. So it's somebody who recognizes but doesn't necessarily do the basic sciences and somebody who's had a real feel for clinical medicine but doesn't really do the clinical trials themselves. So a, a, a translational scientist is somebody who understands what's going on at the discovery level and knows what the problems are on the clinical side and connects the two. Now you are an orthopedic surgeon and you're one of the few orthopedic surgeons who specializes in oncology or cancer as it relates to the bones. And I myself, as a practicing orthopedic surgeon back in the day, used to call you up and beg you for help down at the uh, head of the University of Miami section there. Tell us the training that goes into not only going to medical school and then internship and then your residency to be an orthopedic surgeon, but the fellowships and subspecialization involved for this cancer subspecialty, which I don't want to get lost in the wash right here. Well, you never had to call me and beg for help because I knew when you called you had a problem and, and, and I had to struggle to try to figure out what to do. But the reality is uh, in preparing for orthopedic oncology, it's, a, it's a generally a one-year fellowship uh, that's relatively intense. I did mine at the Massachusetts General Hospital with Dr. Henry Mankin, uh, who uh, was one of the great uh, leaders in the field of orthopedics and orthopedic oncology in general. Uh, I was one of the leaders in uh, bone transplantation and uh, something that uh, became very near and dear to my heart. Uh, so orthopedic oncology is a clinical year of study, and then it's a lifetime of trying to sort it all out. I also spent five years at the Armed Forces Institute of Pathology in bone and musculoskeletal pathology. So I tried to, tried to learn it all, and uh, not sure if I was successful in every aspect of it, but like Arnie Palmer said, the more I practice, the luckier I get. Well said. Let's get back to what you're doing now. Um, and part of what you're doing now, I think, is still a bit with the tissue bank at the University of Miami. Yes. Tell us about that, because that was a very pioneering thing when you got into that. Yes. So the University of Miami is the oldest uh, commercial tissue bank in the United States. And it was started by a fellow named Ted Malenin. And when I was call, uh, called to uh, visit the University of Miami, or at least consider the job, uh, it was 
back in 1998. And I was perfectly happy at the University of Virginia. And uh, Mark Brown was the chairman at the time. And he said, would you like to come to Miami? Um, and I said, no, uh, I'm perfectly happy here. And if I had to list 50 cities, I don't think Miami would be in the top 50. And he called and he called and finally convinced me to come down. And I saw the program. I saw the potential there. But more importantly, I saw what Ted Malenin was doing at the, at the tissue bank. And, and he was truly a pioneer. In, in transplantation. Now, Henry Mencken was, was a great clinician, but it was really on the backs of people like Ted Malenin who really sorted out the whole fundamental issues with bone transplantation and cartilage transplantation and, and the growing cartilage and nutrient media, micronizing bone and putting it back together with stem cells and in culture. And, and really, that was the fundamental basis of my interest in, in the tissue bank. And then around 2006, uh, the bank wasn't doing too well financially. And the dean said that we don't think it's relevant to the academic mission anymore. Uh, so he gave me one more year to turn it around. We were at about $2.5 million in revenue. And overnight, uh, with some um, uh, affiliations with some larger distributors, we were able to turn it into an $18 million business and positioned it for a sale to a, a company that's now taken it to $60 million. So uh, we were able to preserve that tradition, apply some business discipline around it, and still give that service fundamentally to the community and to advance some of our ideas in regenerative medicine. Now, to our audience, I want to explain to you that it is very, very unusual, and you have to have a different kind of brain like Tom Temple has, to be able to connect the dots from clinical care of patients to the operating room, to the research laboratory, to the business boardroom. Because if you don't, if you don't connect all those dots and along the way connect it to teaching, great patient care, it's going to fail. It's not going to be sustainable. And that is often, Tom, what gets lost. And I don't, I don't know, I don't think I know anybody but you who's been able to connect all of those dots. I mean, that's a lot of dots to connect, you know. And, you know, the tissue bank really kind of has revolutionized, you know, a lot of our care. And we kind of take it for granted now as technology advanced, as in the surgical techniques advance and you know, you're just able to go to the tissue bank and pick up whatever kind of cells you need. Um, very futuristic. Well, it's been incredible. Um, it started out uh, with, with a couple of key inventions. And one was just sort of sitting around one day and watching the guys cutting bone on the bandsaw and fundamentally, fundamentally asking, what happens to that dust that we just throw away? And what we did is we took it down to the Mannheimer Foundation and we created closed segment defects in non-human primates. And we looked at different particle sizes. We looked at sub 100 micron particles, one to three, three to six, six to eight, and so on. And what we found was that when we looked at the one to 300 micron particle sizes, which was the dust that we were just basically taking off the stage of the bandsaw, that was the most powerful uh, material to, to consolidate in those defects. So 
we took it right to humans in the next 2,000 cases when we had bone defects of that nature. We just fill it with this micronized bone. And it was phenomenal. Uh, it just it healed better than autologous bone graft. And it really changed the way we thought about bone incorporation. We all thought that bone has to resorb and then be replaced. But really what happens with this is you get a massive migration of stem cells in the periphery and it goes bone to bone. It doesn't resorb and it fills in very quickly. So then years later we were working with a group at the VA and they created something called the Miami cell, which was a very powerful, uh, poorly differentiated embryonal-like stem cell in, in adults that lived in the hypoxic space of the bone marrow. And they had worked on this for 15 years, and, and they were publishing papers left and right, but they never understood what it could possibly do. So we took it, the Miami cell, and we married it to the micronized bone. We created one of the first living bone products called Viagraft. And Viagraft uh, sales are uh, through the roof uh, right now, but but it's one of the few living bone products that we can actually create bone in, in vitro. We can, we can make it any shape, any size, and, uh, and uh, it's, it's been very powerful in healing non-unions and very difficult uh, pseudarthrosis in patients with other comorbidities. Uh, so it, it's really revolutionized, I think, in many respects, what we're doing in the bone world. And now what Tom's done over at Nova Southeast, and he has this six-story edifice, and under one roof, he is putting what? So this is really um, a magnus opus. Uh, George Hanbury's vision of basically creating a research infrastructure that not only produces great ideas, but harnesses those ideas in a meaningful way. So he's also looking at putting in a 400 bed hospital, um, a hotel, uh, and a 200, maybe two 240 square foot medical office buildings, of which one is going to house potentially proton beam radiotherapy and uh, the Saracana Research Institute clinical trials. So what exists now in that clinical research building uh, is the Cell Therapy Institute. And the Cell Therapy Institute uh, is headed by a fellow named Richard Jove, who really is fundamentally uh, invested in the problems of aging and, and, and tissue regeneration. And with him came a whole cadre of people from the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, Sweden, who, by the way, issued the Nobel Prize for Medicine and Physiology. These guys are working on everything from taking natural killer T cells, which is the primary de defense in our immune defense in our body, and reprogramming them so that they, un that they recognize specific tumor antigens and markers to basically just attack solid tumors. And that's one of the big focuses we have at Nova Southeastern is taking pediatric solid tumors and identifying those kids that don't respond to conventional therapy and enrolling them into immune therapy trials. They've already cured myeloma in multiple refractory cases in Sweden. We're going to bring that technology here as well. The other thing they're doing is really fascinating in the stem cell space, is they're taking embryonal stem cells. And, they're, and as you know, stem cells, all of our cells have unique markers 
called HLA markers. And they're sequentially going through that stem cell and removing those markers one by one until they could deliver a cell product that doesn't look foreign to an individual. So imagine a universal stem cell that not only has genes that are coded in it that will form retinal epithelial cells, it could form cartilage, it could form bone, it could do anything you like, and if it gets out of hand, it has a kill switch. So you could simply shut it off uh, at any time if it were to get out of control. So this is just a few of the things that we're doing in the Cell Therapy Institute. And as partners, we brought in diverse groups like GE Health, um, Big Pharma, Sericana Research Institute, everybody who's kind of interested in this immunotherapy space, which is really good, which may be the first encouraging thing I've seen in 20 years in terms of not just controlling cancer, but potentially curing it. You know, the work that we're doing is really just transdisciplinary, global, innovative, and, and focused on things that we do well and in looking at the prescient diseases of our time. Tell us other projects you have there that have to do with the neurosciences. So I think that the Neuroimmune Institute is that component that's looking at these neurodegenerative conditions like Parkinson's disease, uh, these uh, neuroimmune conditions that, um, that simply alter your perception in space and time, um, and other uh, degenerative conditions like Alzheimer's disease. Um, and either uh, reversing these diseases by understanding, first of all, who's at risk and developing proper biomarkers to identify them, and then getting into the underlying physiology and finding reversible mechanisms to turn these things around. And I think in our lifetime, I think we're going to see substantial improvement in our understanding of these neurodegenerative conditions and, and where we're going. There's an interesting lady uh, at the University of Miami um, who uh, runs the, the Brain Bank, and uh, her name is Deborah Mash. She has the largest brain repository in the United States. Bigger than the one at Boston University. Even bigger than that one. Yeah. And, uh, and we work with her um, to recover brains uh, through the different medical examiner's office throughout the state. And she, too, is working on biomarkers to predict, for example, who's at risk for addiction. It's, it's fundamentally a chemical imbalance in the brain. It's, it's not just because you have a defect in your soul. It's, it's really a fundamental abnormality imbalance of, of chemical events that occur in your brain. And, and what she's trying to do is figure out what those are, how you can identify them, who's at risk, and how to intervene. Let's shift gears a minute to tell me about Something you're wearing on your clothing there that someone named Lacey Craddock, who's your right-hand person, had a little bit to do with. Tell us about that. So, so Lacey understands that science and knowledge don't move without money. And we can think about it all we want, but if somebody's not paying us to think about it and paying for that, for that effort, things don't happen. So Lacey sees that and she understands that uh, you know we need to generate in, uh, income 
And the way to do that is to bring awareness of people who have cancer, in this particular instance, breast cancer and solid tumors and uh, sarcomas and things of that nature. And by purchasing these pins, this money goes back into the research effort uh, to uh, allow us to develop the infrastructure and scientific know-how to advance these ideas. So that's a pink shark because Nova Southeastern are the sharks. They are the sharks indeed. One of the big things that our mutual visions have in common is that at differentbrains.com, the way I see it, precisely because of my ignorance and the fact that I'm not a real scientist, is that all of these different silos of research for autism, for Alzheimer's, for strokes, for Parkinsonism, the list goes on and on. It's all just variations on the same thing, with the, the same theme, with the same principles, and a lot of the same tools we can use to attack these problems. And I know you're not there yet, but I know it's on your horizon. Would you like to elaborate on some of the futuristic? Absolutely. I, I think that this is, the, this is one of the final frontiers, our fundamental understanding of the brain. And we have a number of behavioral initiatives in uh, Parkinson's disease, for example, um, in addiction, um, and uh, in uh, people whose brains have been affected by toxic exposure. And our goal is to bring in all of these behavioral elements into the various institutes. And, it, and, and there's so many synergies between the brain and cancer, the brain and uh, the immune system, the brain in stem cells, for example. Could we fundamentally take a, a human being with Parkinson's disease and deliver a stem cell product into a very specific part of the brain and reverse those effects? Now, we have a Parkinson model right now in a rat where we actually um, created a defect in that part of the brain, and those animals walk in a circle, just like a, like a part of the very patterned uh, uh, behavior. But when we re uh, repopulate that part of the brain with a stem cell, we can write their gait. So we're looking at different ways of, of using stem cells, of using drugs, and delivering them in the blood-brain, through the blood-brain barrier, or across the blood-brain barrier through, the, uh, through a nasal route. So there are a lot, when you combine pharmacy, when you combine cell biology, stem cell research, and, and neurobiology, and neuroanatomy, and what we're doing is breaking down those silos. We don't have the department of Parkinson's disease. We don't have the department of, of bad behavior. I mean, they're all together, and that's the whole purpose of a Center for Collaborative Research. Everybody is focused on problems from their different perspective, and they actually talk to one another, and they actually learn from one another. And in doing, and it's not just Nova Southeastern. We have global relationships with the University of Saint Petersburg, with India, with uh, uh, with the Karolinska Institute. So this is a global enterprise. It's not just Nova Southeastern, and we're bringing together the best of everybody in the world to look at these problems and tackle them. Our viewers or listeners, how do they find out more about what you're doing at Nova Southeastern? We have a website, the TREAD website, uh, the Translational Research Economic Development website at novasoutheastern.edu. 
That is, that is uh, one of the best websites that, that we have available. And I think that all the information, all the clinical trials, all the research activities that are going on are basically on that website. And, uh, we have our own um, office, the uh, Translational Research Economic Development Office, right? Interestingly, in the law school. Now imagine an orthopedic surgeon being buried in a law school with all these lawyers. I'd get hives every morning. Uh, so uh, they, we would welcome visitors there. We, would, we, uh, we have symposia. We have music uh, programs where people can come and learn a little bit more about what we're doing. Uh, we have some of the greatest pianists in the world uh, perform at these, uh, these small uh, recitals. So we have a lot of things going on where people can come and enjoy Nova Southeastern, which is a very beautiful campus, but learn more about the things that we're doing there. And well, that's, that's great, Russ. We've been talking to Tom Temple, and this has been an amazing, amazing journey just in today's interview. Um, uh, if there's one message you would like anybody taking this in to get in one log line, if you will, what would that be? As Camus would say, and Henry Mencken used to always uh, reinforce, there's always hope. There's always hope. And on that note, I'm going to thank you. H. Thomas Temple of Nova Southeastern University. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's a great pleasure, and thank you for having me here today. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.com.